Thank you for uh, praying for, for the team that was in Kenya and then for the Boone family as we went from Kenya down to Tanzania. It's been great. I didn't realize I, I was having second thoughts. I thought I got a plane to Allentown and I thought maybe it's Shanghai or, or <laughs> Tokyo or something. I'm not sure. Um, we've been home somewhere around 36 hours. I'm not sure exactly. Right now I'm doing fine. Mid-afternoon, I will stagger to the closest couch and lay down, but at the moment doing really well and thank you so much. I bring greetings. We've got to see Alfred and Happiness and Doro, who we were our teammates among the Sandawi people for all those years. They happen to be in Kenya. We saw them and they send their greetings. We got to see Musa and Marciano Luzale, also teammates. Uh, of ours among the Sandawi who are now among the Wasi team and they send their greetings. The whole Wasi team sends their greetings and the Sandawi churches send their greetings and um, it was an amazing time. As I was um, preparing, I knew ahead of time the text, I knew that we would or thought that we would be at verse 8 of Second Timothy chapter 2 and that's indeed where we are and um, so I had studied that passage a little before I left and then as we were there and uh, going through different situations, I thought, well, here's God just illustrating, uh, illustrating this passage for me from Africa and among the Africans. Um, and uh, I'm going to share some of those stories with you because it's not stretching it. It actually fits. Um, but turn in your Bibles. It starts, if you're using one of ours here, Starts on page 1414 and goes into the text. Our text in particular is going to be on 1415. But I'm, we're going to look at verses 8 to 10. But I want to, to get the context. We'll, re, we'll read what you looked at last week beginning at verse 1. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 verse 1. Paul writes, by the inspiration of the Spirit, <clears throat> You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, I know we've already prayed, and perhaps just my weakness, I want to pray again and just ask that your spirit would open up this passage to us and that you would speak to us that it wouldn't be me but it would be you and that your will would be done in our lives and we want your will in our lives lord 
And we ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting in verse 8, he starts off and the main thought that Paul is saying there, and he's saying it, you remember to Timothy, is remember Jesus Christ. You see it there in verse 8. And he speaks a little bit there about about Christ and about what uh, uh, is involved in Christ. And we'll touch on that in a moment. And then as he goes on in his words to Timothy, you get down to verse 10 and you see you see one of the the central thought in here that actually ties these three verses together. He says, for this reason, I endure all things. I endure all things. And the overriding, the overriding um, thought that Paul is, is carrying with him as he writes these verses to, in this letter to Timothy, his protege, is that Timothy must carry on in spite of whatever difficulties come. And the difficulties are already there, and they're going to increase. They may wax and wane, but they're going to be there. And Paul's faced the difficulties, and he looks also and he says, Christ himself, look at his example. And he's saying, now, now, Timothy, you must endure. You've got to endure all things for the sake of the gospel. I want us to see in these three verses three reasons why. We, in, we endure difficulty for the sake of the gospel. Three reasons why we endure difficulty for the sake of the gospel. And I'm going to spend much more time, an inordinate amount of time, uneven amount of time on the first point than I do on the second two. But you'll, I trust that it will be helpful to us all. The first reason why the Apostle Paul was willing and successful in enduring difficulty for the sake of the gospel is simply this, that the word of God will prevail. Amen? The word of God will prevail. Look at verse 9 again. He says, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. The words there are very interesting. You'll remember, too, the context. Paul's been in jail before, and the Lord, in his, in his mercy and his power, gets him out, and he keeps preaching and goes to different places, carries the gospel to different places. But this time it's different. He knows that he's not going to get out of that prison in his body. He's going to get out, but he's going to get out through death. And he knows it. The end of his life is coming. And the words that are used in the original language here, the Greek language, uh, suggest um, um, maltreatment. And th- this was rough. This was, this was a rough imprisonment. And even some translations in English will say, will use the word chains, saying that it says, um, I suffer hardship even to chains. I'm chained as a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Some translations say bound. I'm bound, but the word of God isn't bound. Now, in Paul's day, there were literal chains that were trying to hold back the word of God. He was wearing chains and had worn them in the past. But it's not just in Paul's day. In every, in every century, in every decade since then, Somewhere in the world, Christians have suffered physically for the gospel. And that's going on today. We don't feel it. We're not chained up because of the gospel. If we don't pay attention, perhaps that day will come. But at the moment, it's not here. But in Paul's day, that happened. 
And in our day, in other places, that happens. But for us now, the chains are still there, but they're different kinds of chains. Chances are, at least not in the next too, too recent, uh, close uh, future, you and I here may not be handcuffed or chained, probably, but there are other chains that threaten to hold back the Word of God. Let me share with you six chains that I saw in Africa. Six chains that threaten to hold back the Word of God. And yet I want to tell you something, that the Word of God is unrestrainable. That God is working through His Word, and it's like holding back a tiger. You can't do it. The first, the first chain that I saw in Africa that threatened to hold back the word of God is fear. Let me read something I wrote. On only the second night of our trip, I woke up early. It was still dark outside and I couldn't get back to sleep. Part of the reason was the jet lag that had me out of sync with the, local, with the local time. But as I lay awake under the mosquito net, I realized that there was another reason I couldn't get back to sleep. It was fear. Not paralyzing terror, nothing intense, but fear nonetheless. I knew that when the sun rose, I and our church team would be entering a world that none of us had experienced before. We would be entering a place called Kibera. Kibera is perhaps the largest slum on the continent of Africa. Statistics vary as well they should. How does one reduce with any accuracy the human misery of Kibera into numbers? Somewhere between one and two million people live in a two square miles of crushing human poverty. There are no second floors in shacks. Those one and a half million people are pressed into that small spot on earth with every one of their feet on the ground. We had been given an orientation by a missionary who walks into that slum every day and gives her life to the people there. The violent crime, the unsanitary conditions, the desperate lives. It was all laid out in graphic detail. I think we all had fear of one degree or another as we tried to process what we had been told. But Kibera was a world that we didn't have to enter. We could have stayed on the main road and driven by it like we had already done in the drive from the airport to the place where we were staying. That was safer. There were other places to go, other ministries to participate in. Places and ministries which did not invoke so much uncertainty and anxiety. But no, we had the inner conviction that God had led, that we were supposed to go. And so we prayed and gave our fear to God and went. How does one describe the sights and sounds and smells of Kibera? The pathways we walked on were compressed garbage, Plastic bags and old shoes and rotting fruit and human waste pressed into the mud by hundreds of thousands of daily footsteps. Along the sides of the paths were dukas, little stores, some only the size of a desktop, 
manned by men and women trying to make a living by selling small necessities to their neighbors. The smells were powerful. Behind everything was the pungent odor of charcoal fires, which is what everyone cooks on. There is no electricity there. And that smoky background was punctuated by smells I'd rather not talk about as we stepped over the gullies, which contained slow-moving streams of human waste. But then we reached the Changing Times Center. A few buildings obtained by a Kenyan pastor. His name is Pastor George. He had a burden for the people of Kibera, and his faith in the Lord overcame the fear he had of the place, and he began ministering to the people there. It began slow, but now there is an elementary school, a health clinic, an adult literacy program, and a program to train women in skills to make a living. And through it all, the gospel is presented to hundreds of people. We had the exhilarating experience of being given the 300 children in the school for the day. Interesting. In the group that I was in, we had about 100 kids in a room of about 25 by 35 feet. Their upturned faces told the story of children who were hungry, hungry to learn, to live, to laugh. And laugh we did. We led songs and acted out Bible stories. As we did, the temperature in the room rose, and so did the dust. For you see, it was only a dirt floor. But there we stood and sang and talked and sang some more with a hundred eager children, all of us gradually taking on the color of the dust and mixing it with sweat. And something that had been present in the morning was no longer there. The fear. We shared the gospel, just like Pastor George and his staff have been doing after they pressed beyond their fear. In the clinic, we saw a mother with a child we would have guessed was a couple months old. The child was more than a year old and quite possibly would have been dead, except that Pastor George and the medical staff had pressed into Kibera and touched the mother's life and helped the child. It would be a long road to full recovery, but the child was beginning to move towards health. We saw women making and selling jewelry. We saw women learning to sew and market that skill. We saw an elderly gentleman learning to read for the first time. We saw hundreds of children getting an education and with it the hope that their children might not have to live in Kibera. Kibera is a scary place, but the gospel refuses to be chained by fear. The word of God will go wherever there are people who need the gospel, which is, of course, everywhere. I want to ask you a question. Is fear threatening to prevent you from being used to bring God's love to someone else? Have you thought perhaps about doing something to express the love of God to somebody that's hurting or needy or perhaps even speaking about Christ to someone you know, but fear has been the chain to hold it back? My friend, the word of God will not be chained by fear. Amen. And as you submit to God and we submit to God and tell him our fears, be honest with him about them. 
and say, well, I give that fear to you, but I will take a step in that direction. You will watch and you will see and you'll be a part of knowing that the word of God is unrestrainable, unrestrainable. Another chain, second chain that threatens to bind the gospel is comfort. Let me tell you the story of two amazing Kenyans who we had the privilege of meeting. The man's name is Habil and his wife's name is Rhoda. Habil and Rhoda are part of the growing middle class that's starting to occur in East Africa. Well, it started before, but it's it's beginning now to grow. Now, when I say middle class, you think perhaps of your lifestyle. They're not there yet, but in their country, in the spectrum of the economy, this is something that's growing and it's changing Africa. People are, some people. You see, our country is amazing where a great portion of our country is middle class. There in Africa for so many years, there's been a small amount of people who are wealthy and huge amount of people who are poor and a teeny little sliver of what could be called the middle class but that sliver is growing and beginning to grow and it's changing africa for the better so there's habil he's a banker in nairobi biggest city in east africa a very important position and he makes a good salary his wife rhoda teaches high school another respected and well-paid position in the society. And there they are, being able to live a lifestyle that their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents would have never dreamed possible. They were comfortable. They had a burden. Because they drove down that road that we drove down, and they looked over to the side and saw the slums. They had a burden. God put it in them for those that were struggling in this life. And they did an incredibly insane and stupid thing. They walked down into the middle of the of another slum, not Kibera. Unfortunately, Nairobi has many. It's the next largest slum. They went right down in the middle of it and they bought a quarter of an acre. He took out a mortgage and borrowed money from the bank and obligated himself to monthly payments to buy a quarter of an acre in the middle of a slum. You know, I think about real estate here where you talk about location, location, location. The front of the the little gate that opens there is less than 10 feet from an open sewer. Location, location, location. They took the mortgage out and they began to preach the gospel. They call them pastor. Nobody's ever ordained them, (laughs) but they just preached the gospel. Maybe God ordained them. And there they began to pour out their life for a long time. And then what happened was the way we got introduced to him was Alfred, as he was studying in school there, heard word about this and he joined hands. And for over a year now, he's been in the slum every weekend, along with Habil and his wife, Rhoda, co-pastoring, co-evangelizing in the slums, preaching the word of God. That's where we worshiped the first Sunday on our trip. I think it was pretty exciting for all of our young people. It was the first time they saw their pastor dance in church. 
Jubilant worship. I hope nobody took pictures. Jubilant joy and hope in the midst of extreme human limitations. And what struck me about the whole thing was that Habil and Rhoda did not have to do that. They were entirely justified to keep using their middle class wages to provide for themselves. But instead, they, use, they decided to use their money to help others. My friend, middle class living is comfortable, isn't it? I'm not telling you this story to make you feel guilty or make myself feel guilty. But this is what I saw in Nairobi. That the gospel refuses to be chained by comfort. The word of God will go wherever there are people who need the gospel, which, of course, is everywhere. And God will stir up and use people who are willing to identify the chains that are holding them back and say no to the chains and let God snap the chains and push them forward with the gospel and watch what happens. And quite frankly, for you and I, this chain may be one of the greatest chains in our lives. We've grown used to comfort. We justify our comfort. And all the while, there are other ways we could use our money rather than increasing our comfort. And are we open to it? Are we open to it? My friends, I don't want to get to the end of my life and find out God just passed me by. Because he's not going to be stopped by the chains. Amen? If you and I say, no, I kind of like the chain. I think I'll keep that chain there. It feels a little comfortable. Then he'll just step over us and find someone else. Because the word of God is unrestrainable. Third chain. And this is all in the first point. I'm looking at the clock. Ha! <laughs> the uh, third chain is, is difficulty. When we reached then the, the team here, the team came back to America and then our family went down into Tanzania and we traveled through different places and then we reached the Sandawi land where we had lived for 11 years and the people and I won't even get into all those stories of the phenomenal uh, reception and the, just seeing the people still walking with God and doing, doing good stuff for God. But I noticed being there reminded me of some of the harsh realities of life there and that difficulty, just plain old difficulty is one thing that holds us back or threatens to be a chain to hold back the gospel. There are good ideas, but it's hard to do them. There's people that need reach, but man, is it hard to do it. And one piece of the difficulty for me was the sun. I brought along a little, my little travel journal, and I'm going to read a little bit that I wrote. I said, one impression I'm carrying with me from Sandawi land is the heat. <laughs> it is omnipresent, yet never singularly overwhelming. It's not sweat dripping off your face heat. It is more devious than that. The landscape is brown and dry. 
The light brown sandy soil retains the heat for your feet and reflects it for your face. And the sky, every morning when the sun comes up, every Sandawi home, at every Sandawi home, the mother grabs her makeshift broom and sweeps clean the hard-packed ground in front of her house. While she does so, God sweeps the sky clean of clouds. Not one fraction of a cloud is left. The sunlight is everywhere. No shade from heaven. Passing clouds that give reprieve are reserved only for the rainy season, and that is for a mere few months. The rest of the year is lived in the sunlight. Your body dehydrates silently, secretly. You haven't mopped your brow. No sleeve has been drawn across your face to soak up sweat. Instead, the sweat has whispered itself away. And while you comment to yourself one more time that the grass is shriveled and dry, You unknowingly shrivel too until your ignorance is interrupted by your near collapse. I experienced that again. It is so hot. And yet, and that's not the only difficulty. And yet people go and people stay because the gospel and the word of God will not be restrained even by difficulty. Amen. Amen. Difficulties abound there and here, but the gospel refuses to be chained by difficulties. The word of God will go wherever there are people who need the gospel, which, of course, is everywhere. We need to throw away the deception that we can participate in propagating the word of God in the Lehigh Valley and around the world easily. You see, now, as we seek to reach people in the Lehigh Valley and in unreached people groups around the world, we'll do it together. And we have different roles, and that means that we face different kinds of difficulties. For some, they spend their days in the African heat. For others, they do without some wants and desires because they've given their money to keep the other ones in the sun. For some, they face difficulty at work. Because they dare to open their mouths and testify of Christ during lunch break. And the gospel, as we know, is received by some some and resisted by others. All of us face difficulty of one sort or or another. But together we participate in God's purposes and see the word of God continue unrestrained. And I don't know about you, but actually I do know about you. I think you're the same as me. You want, you would rather face the difficulties and see God help you in them and be a part of his purposes being fulfilled than shy away from the difficulties and have God pass you by and find someone else because the word of God will not be restrained. There's a fourth, fourth uh, chain that threatens to hold back the word of God. It's distance, distance, just sheer distance. We got into Tanzania and we met up with John and Nancy LaRusso. Great that we prayed for them this morning. 
That's up in the north of the country. We saw where they were and all. And then we loaded up their land cruiser and we started driving. And we made the long, arduous drive down south to get eventually toward the Sandawi people. But between the north and the Sandawi is the Wasi team. Amen? You guys remember, we pray for them. We sent people there. Well, we went there to visit them. We got into the Wasi land. Let me tell you something. You don't get there by accident. You know, we were living in the sticks with Sandawi land, in, with the Sandawi. They were in the sticks. But there was, a, there was a road that went from one kind of large town several hours down this way to another large town several hours that way. It wasn't the main road. There was a main road farther south. But there was this road that every once in a while vehicles would go across and through by our village. <laughs> the Wasi people, there ain't no roads going anywhere out there. Like you don't get there unless you're trying to get there. You don't accidentally pass it. Nobody takes a wrong term and, uh, turn and ends up among the Wasi. I got there after that long drive. And I stood there and I looked at the little houses, the little mud brick houses and, and the sun beating down. And it's a beautiful area. There's a river that runs through and there's hills and kind of small mountains and the people are spread out across there and you can see house and house and house they're herding their goats and their cows they're 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 farming for corn and i was beat i was beat because of the trip and i said to john we're standing there in the sun and i said john i just wish i could take everybody from cedar crest and just beam them right down here and john says no 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 you want to drive them here (laughs) and i said you know what you're right. It wouldn't be fair just to beam you in there. You got to drive. You got to see how far out they are. No electricity, no water. The team there, remember the girls, the BFC girls we sent out there, Carrie and Kim and Becky, and then the other team, the girls, and there's some couples and, and two uh, Tanzanian families part of the team. You know how they all get their water? Our girls from Bethlehem. They walk down to the river just like everybody else and they get a bucket full and they put the bucket on their head and they walk back to their house with a bucket. They get their water just like the Wasi get their water. Man, they're out there, let me tell you. They've got latrines for for toilets, for their shower or bath. They have the same buckets that they went down to the river with and they use those buckets to clean up, clean themselves and anything else. And at one point when we were there, we're standing out there and the team was around and I, and, uh, I happened to be talking to Carrie and I, and I said, I said to Carrie, I said, Oh, Carrie, how, how are you doing? How do you, how are you feeling? Well, you know, how are you doing out here? And she looked up at me with her sunburned face and she's got this scarf around her head and she's dressed like them and she wouldn't dress that way here. She's dressed like them. She looks up at me and she says, I'm so happy here. Man, I got to tell you something. That's when I wanted every one of you to be there. That's when I wanted every middle class American Christian to stand in the middle of that place. That you would probably, most of us would want to get out of there as fast as possible and see that girl look up at me and and look up into your face and say, I'm so happy here. 
She's learning the language. She's jabbering away. I couldn't understand that. I don't know that language. They're talking in that language. The people have accepted them. They're living like them. And they're sharing the gospel slowly, slowly, carefully. The word of God is unrestrainable. Some people are separated from the gospel by sheer distance. But the gospel refuses to be chained by distance. The word of God will go wherever there are people who need the gospel, which, of course, is everywhere. And, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking that, you know, there are different kinds of distance. There's geographical distance like you and me trying to get to the Wasi team. But there's also cultural difference. And I see that in the Lehigh Valley. Some of you, not all of us in this room, but most of us in this room, English is our mother tongue. We grew up speaking English. And you've noticed that the Lehigh Valley is changing. There's lots of people in the Lehigh Valley that they have to try to learn English because it's not what they grew up speaking. And with that comes cultural differences. They, they look different than you do. They talk different than you do. They act different. They don't live the same with each other like you live with people who are like you. There's a cultural distance between you and them. And what I want to ask you is, are you letting that distance stop you from participating in the word of God being proclaimed to all the people of the Lehigh Valley? Don't be put off by the differences. Don't be put off by the cultural distance. Embrace it. And let God use you to be a conduit of the gospel flowing to those people. (laughs) You don't have to go to the Wasi land. I don't know if there's any Wasi here, but there's a lot of people from a lot of places in the world right here in the Lehigh Valley. You don't want God to step aside over you and say, well, you're chained. I'm going to go find the one that's not chained. Because my word will not be imprisoned. Amen? That was a weak amen, but I'll keep going. Fifth, and I'm, you know, I've already decided, I'm only going to do the first point of this sermon. So there, here we go. Uh, this is the fifth sub-point. The fifth chain is complacency. Complacency. So now here we are, we're, we're in the Sandawi land and we've reached it and we're putting up with the sun and I'm, my wife is shoving water bottles my way saying, drink, drink, drink. So I don't, I almost passed out at one point. But um, uh, we get into Kwam Toro, which is a little village. It's the closest thing the Sandawi land has to a town. There's about 2,000 people or so that live there and two roads actually cross. That's why it's kind of the center. We lived there for a while. That was the first place we lived when we went and then we moved to a different village. And we got there and the African pastor of the church that we helped start, he was there. His name is Ntalimbo. Can you say that? Yeah. I'd never met Ntalimbo. And Talimbo, uh, I had heard his name, but I'd never met him. He came after we left. So we got there and we, he, was, he was exhausted because the previous week they had had a week-long evangelistic meetings and campaign in a village behind a mountain that was nearby. 
And it had completely zapped him of all of his strength. He was just completely exhausted. The pastors were supposed to be at another meeting. He couldn't go. He was, he was so fatigued. And he was recovering from the exertion that went on in trying to get the gospel out to this other village. We sat and they fed us food and we ate and we got to know each other. And then as we were talking, he said something I'm not going to forget. He sat there and he said, well, you know... Um, he had been sent there to be the pastor and he went and he was kind of taking stock on the situation. And he said this, this is more or less a quote. He said, I realized that we hadn't planted a church in five years. (laughs) That's unacceptable. So we began making plans to bring the gospel to the village out behind that mountain. (laughs) There was no external pressure put on the pastor to do this. No one would have faulted him if he had merely tried to do a good job pastoring the people in his church. But he he wouldn't be bound by complacency. He was saying, how could this be? How can we be a church and go five years without planting a church, without reproducing ourselves? That's unacceptable. And so he almost kills himself getting the gospel out to that village behind the mountain. Ah, my friends, complacency is a strong chain. But the gospel refuses to be chained by complacency. The word of God will go wherever there are people who need the gospel, which, of course, is everywhere. How about you? Think about this. Is there something in your life that you ought to be doing, a way in which God desires to use you for his glory, that no one else is demanding you to do or faulting you for not doing? But you know that to live without doing it for you is unacceptable. Tell God that you no longer want those chains of complacency to bind you, but you want to be used by God as he continues to his plan to use his unrestrainable word. Last chain, last chain, sixth chain that I saw out there. And that last chain is Satan himself. You know, Satan is a part of all the other chains too. He works to make us complacent, to be, make us love comfort too much, to fear difficulty, to be intimidated by distance. But, but sometimes Satan himself becomes a blatant, singularly powerful force against the word of God. That is Satan and his host of evil spirits. That's what the Christians ran into in that little village way behind the mountain. I had heard about that village, but had never gone there myself. You have to go to another village where we have a church and they have to just head, head by foot back in behind this mountain. And that's what, the, what they did. No Americans, no expatriates, not a white face in the group. It was the African Christians bringing the gospel out to this place that you and I probably be, wouldn't be too happy to go to. But they went there and they went with the gospel because it is unrestrainable. Amen. And there they found all sorts of demonic activity. And I won't tell too many details, but I'll just say this. At one point in one of the meetings, 
um, a woman got up and, and ran out. She ran back to her house and then she ran back in and began to disrupt the meeting uh, as the preaching is going on. And other women, Christian women, got up and they, they took her and they brought her to the side. And she was possessed by, by evil spirits. And they began praying for her off to the side as the preacher just kept preaching. And they began praying and praying. Two hours later, she was completely of a sane mind. She'd been delivered of the demons and came back. By the way, they're still preaching. This is still two hours later, but the meeting's still going on. And, uh, and uh, she comes back and she testifies and she says, I've been set free. Jesus has set me free. While that's going on, too, another man comes and says, help my wife, help my wife. She, the demons throw her down on the ground. She's thrashing and foaming, just like the Bible. And they took her and had to drag her off to the side as the demons tried to fight. But the word of God will not be restrained and in prayer in jesus name she was delivered and she stood up and testified jesus has set me free amen you see satan and his hosts try to chain the word of god but the gospel refuses to be chained by satan and the word of god will go everywhere There are people who need the gospel, which, of course, means everywhere. Fear, comfort, distance, complacency, Satan himself. Chains that threaten to hold back the word of God. But this verse says here in verses 8 to 10, it says, no, no, no. I'm going to endure all things, he says. I'm going to endure it all. And Timothy, I want you to endure it all too. And I'm, I'm going to endure things, he says in verse 9. I'm going to suffer hardship. I'm even chained up. But the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not chained. Oh, my friends, my friends, let's throw off the chains and let's let God use us as he wishes to use us. Oh, there's so much more in verse 8 and then in verse 10. I had two more points, but I'm out of time. Our Father, we worship you and we praise you. And we thank you that your word is unrestrainable. It reached even us, O Lord. It reached even us. It overcame all obstacles and you used it to save us. And now, O Lord, as Paul was not satisfied to think only of himself and just rejoice in his own salvation. He looked out and thought of others. Oh, Lord, do the same in us. Maybe not rest until we're sure you're using us and we're, we're doing what it is you want us to do. Different for each one of us, different little things, but that each of us are clear and open before you and you're taking us and using us so that that unrestrainable word reaches more and more and more people. Right here in the Lehigh Valley, we ask it. Around the world, we ask it. Use us in this way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you all.